2: That is douglas.ca slash Canada Land. Hart Palmerance was considered the talented one. Even his comedy partner acknowledged that Hart was funnier, a braver, and more adept performer. That comedy partner was Lorne Michaels. The Hart and Lorne Terrific Hour, a comedy variety show, is a series of specials that aired on CBC television in 1970 and 71. After that, Lorne Michaels went stateside to launch Saturday Night Live. And Hart Pomeranz stayed in Canada, where he had a number of different TV projects throughout the years while practicing law. Still does comedy. He's still a lawyer. Now, my uncle Ira was a boyhood friend of Hart's brother, Earl Pomerance, who was then known as Weezer. Earl Pomerance went on to his own successful comedy career, writing for Cheers, Taxi, head writer of The Cosby Show, and later uh, Major Dad. I will get to Earl Pomerance in time, but today I shamelessly exploited my family connection to get Hart Pomerance onto the show. We recorded in his home in a suburb of Toronto, and you'll hear that in a minute. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Jill Campbell Miller, Duncan Weller, David Bachner, Wojtek Archijewski, Lorraine Land, Dennis Masseau, Matt Kennel, Matthew Penny, and Peter McLeod. Peter, why did you decide to be awesome? Because great journalism just requires great media criticism. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp, at BetterHelp.com CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is also brought to you by PickATick.com. Picatic is a site you can use if you're throwing an event of any kind and you want to sell tickets. And I asked Jay from Picatic why he started this company. Over the last uh,
1: decade, service fees have skyrocketed. Event organizers have no choice but to pay service fees or pass it on to you, me, and everyone who's listening right now.
2: Pick a tick.com, it's a lot like Ticketmaster or Eventbrite with one big difference, you don't pay any service fees. None at all. You charge $10, $5 for your event, whatever. The only thing that comes out of that is the credit card fee. You keep the rest, and you only pay Pickatick anything if you decide to upgrade, and the upgrades include things like granular analytics about who's buying your tickets and the ability to brand the ticket and brand your site. If you don't need that stuff, it's absolutely free. Go to pickatick.com. Tell them who sent you. Have partnerships always been difficult?
1: I've done most of my good work with partners.
2: Yeah. My uh,
1: my kids, I did with a partner. Lorne was a partner, Lorne Michaels.
2: Lorne, uh, Lipowitz. Lipowitz. Yeah. Yeah.
1: He was the partner. I changed his name for him as my first uh, act as a lawyer. And uh, in those days, we had to go to court to get your name changed.
2: You had to, like, go before a judge? I had to
1: go before a judge. And uh, you had to give reasons why you wanted to change your name, because some people tried to avoid creditors by changing their name. Uh Uh-huh. So, I prepared a whole list of reasons, and I went before the judge and I said, My client's name is uh, Lipowitz, and he wants to change it to Michaels, and here are my reasons. And he said, I don't need any reasons. <laughs> I said, Thank you, Judge Lipschitz, and we walked out. <laughs> <laughs> it was just the right judge for the well, Lipschitz, item. I can
2: understand. <laughs> but, but Lipowitz was, I mean, was it just about. Uh, was I mean? There, that happened all the time. The Jewish comics would would change their names.
1: Well, he he uh, wanted to be in show business, and we had a, a CBC show called the Lipowitz and Pomerantz Half Hour. He just felt it was too much. Yeah. So uh, he wanted to change his name. I never did because uh, I like my name. But uh, who knows? He he's a he's a pretty clever guy. He. Whether he would have been just as famous being Lipowitz, I don't know.
2: Was it a contentious issue back then? Was it about uh, trying to pass yourself off as not Jewish, or was it just that it was easier on the on the tongue to...
1: I, I really don't know. Uh, I don't know his reasons. He, yeah. never, he never told me. Uh, but I had no compunction about using any name. Uh, I wouldn't worry about any of these things. And uh, I never even thought about it. I just... Just use your own name because that's your name.
2: The partnership, like a a comic duo Mm -hmm. in that era and beforehand, the idea of two Jewish guys getting together, I mean, there's so many stories of it, and then it always ending in acrimony. It's almost like a trope at this point. Where did you guys fit into that kind of? He wanted
1: to be a producer and I wanted to be a comedian, but I was not that interested in going it alone because it's too uh, stressful. Like
2: it to be a stand-up comic. Uh, yeah.
1: I, I, wa- I wanted originally to be a stand-up comic. I was always funny in, uh, all my life without partners, but when you get in front of a, an audience, it's good to have someone there to commiserate with during the quiet times.
2: And then you're in, the f- you're in I guess, a routine or sketch comedy more than stand-up when, when it's a duo.
1: Well, we, we did um, two-man comedy, and uh, we wrote sketches for other people and for ourselves, but uh, rarely did we perform singularly mm-hmm. during that period of time.
2: Maybe you could kind of paint a picture of what it was like to be a young Jewish guy from Toronto trying to get started. You know, we have, like, well-established the whole story of the New York comics going to the Catskills and mm-hmm. uh, trying to sell jokes to columnists or to radio hosts. And, you know, like that I've heard that story so many times, but... I don't know what the Canadian version of that story is.
1: The Canadian version is you have to just be lucky. There's nobody here that knows very much about comedy. And in our day, there was only Wayne and Schuster. And Lauren was married to Schuster's daughter. That helps? It didn't help, no. Really? Nothing, nothing. We got nothing from them. I had a law That's office. a raw deal.
2: Huh? <laughs> that sounds like a raw deal.
1: Well, no. I mean, uh, that wasn't the reason for going into show business. Right. Um, I had an office at the Colonnade Theater on Bloor Street. It was an apartment, but there was a big theater inside that had a radio show from CBC. Uh-huh. And I used to go down from my law office at lunch and sit in the audience and watch that show. Eventually, I met the producer and made him laugh. And he said, would you like to write a little bit for... Uh, Russ Thompson, who was the star of the show. And he was basically uh, an unfunny, mahogany-lunged broadcaster who would introduce musical guests and have serious interviews. But he wasn't funny. You couldn't make him funny. Right. He was made out of uh, teak,
2: you know. Yeah, a classic professional radio broadcaster. Yeah,
1: you know, a voice without any uh, brain uh, of comedic uh, nature to it. He's straight. But uh, the producer had a good sense of comedy. I don't know why. And then I brought in Lorne to do it, and then uh, we wrote together, and then we performed on that show, our original material, once a week. And from that point on, we had material, which we performed before a live audience in the theater, got the understand the the laughs and the, the timing. And uh, at that point, uh, there was nobody here that could help us because we were unknown basically just in that little theater and i uh, somehow uh, went to new york and did a stand up earlier at the bitter end where bill cosby and all these woody allen types were sure. there and i had no act i just made it up because uh, out of fear how did that go I wanted to be a comedian, but I didn't want to write it down. Right. I realized this is a mistake. Yeah. You have to have it written down somehow.
2: I, well, I thought that when I was a kid, they, they, they seem so um, extemporaneous, and they're just sort of talking that you could get it in your head that this is just a person who's just that funny. Yeah. But that's, I guess, the magic of it is that the, every beat of it, every line is very carefully considered.
1: Well, with some people, it is. With me, I always spoke it before I wrote it down because my brain works quicker than my hand. Mm-hmm. So I would think of something and then write it down or use it in conversation and then say, hey, that's a funny line. I'll, I'll Maybe I'll make use of that sometime in the future. But I never really had a, a list of anything. Lauren and I just ad-libbed, and he would ask me questions. I would be funny. There'd be no script. We'd put it on tape, and then someone would type it out, and then we'd have a show. But back up
2: a second, because yeah. so you were friends with my uncle, uh, or rather, your brother was a very close friend yeah. of my uncle, and you knew my family. My understanding of, you know, the expectations on a young Jewish kid yeah. are based on, on on my family, and you know, I, nowadays, the best and the brightest go to Harvard. And they try to work for Lauren Michaels on Saturday Night Live. Is that right? They go work at the Harvard Lampoon, and then they go from the Ivy League, and half of the writers there are, are Ivy Leaguers. But back then, right. no Jewish mom wanted her smart son to go and be a comedian, right? This was No,
1: no. It, it, it actually was an embarrassment uh-huh. uh, to be a comedian. After going to law school and saying, I'm going into comedy, everybody uh, took uh, pills and uh, tried to... Uh, uh, kill themselves. I mean, it's <laughs> <laughs> you know, after all those years of studying and working so hard to go off and be a as, as the Scottish say, a Yeah, it's not good. You know, my mother always gave me the amb- admonition: at the very least, be the best. Uh huh. That's not too hard to live
2: up to. If you it? have to be in show business, if you have to be a comedian,
1: at the very least, be right, the best. There's nowhere to go if you want to be better than
2: that. So somewhere above the best comedian is the least doctor or lawyer.
1: That uh, that, uh, may be true. I I don't know. I would say that uh, comedians can be just as intelligent as any doctor or lawyer. And they just haven't adapted their brain to that vocation. Mm -hmm. But um, getting back to your story, I went to perform at the bitter end and did a very funny routine out of panic. You know how you can do that. And I'm more of an ad lib comedian. I did jokes like, I'm staying at the Hotel Albert. Uh, if you sleep in, they pull the sheet over your head. at That kind of hotel, or it was so cheap. At right. The, the, the hotel's vault had a screen door, You know that type of joke. I was just spritzing, and uh, they were laughing, and I said, well, this is easy, this is fun, but I was scared to death. Yeah. The, the next night I did it, uh, Woody Allen's manager happened to be there, Seeing my second performance, he invited me down to his office. And so you
2: told him you were you were Canada's funniest comedian. Yeah, yeah. I think I heard a story once of Orson Welles passing him off uh, when he was traveling abroad. His, yeah, if he was in Ireland, he was Britain's funny Britain's <laughs> greatest actor, and then vice versa.
1: Well, that's probably the best way to do it. If they don't know you, you can say whatever you like.
2: Before the internet, you could lie a lot. I but think, easier.
1: I think I should have said I'm Canada's uh, funniest comedian now in the United States. Right. In New York. That would have been honest. But I I was uh, uh, trying to um, promote myself, and I spent a good hour with him and his partner in his office, and he had uh, Woody Allen and Nicholson, May and Dick Cavett and uh, all all the best comedians in New York at that time were managed by him. Uh And he said, are you willing to give this three years? And I said, well, I have a dental appointment now. (laughs) Next Tuesday, I think I'm going home. I was so scared of New York, Uh especially at night in Greenwich Village. It was very uh, terrifying, with no act, of course. But he he thought if I worked on it, he would uh, manage me and help me uh, become a comedian. Right. uh, Professional. But I I hightailed it out of there, as they say in the cowboy movies.
2: That doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would you go to New York for the express purpose? Just to see if I could do it. It sounds sounds like you you had a a very strong reason to believe you could.
1: I, I live in a state of ambivalence. Okay. You know, sometimes you get something and you say, oh, I really don't want that. Yeah. Not every day. I, I, the only thing I like doing every day is breathing. I mean, uh, to me, there's a certain boredom in, in, in repetitious behavior.
2: Yeah. Do you think it just became too real? Something that was kind of a... Uh, well,
1: it became like work. Right. Sitting alone in a hotel and traveling around and being... Uh, Uh, you know, putting yourself up for judgment every day. I I, I didn't like that. I still don't like it. That's why I like to do law and then comedy and then I do some photography and sculpting and I try to do as many things as I can to keep my brain excited. Yeah, I get bored real quick and uh, not all of them are a source of living. You know, I'm making a living. But uh, we did pretty well. So when I brought Lorne into the picture... The material we wrote for Joan Rivers found their way to Phyllis Diller, Uh who had a TV show back then called The Phyllis Diller Show, which was a fairly creative name. Uh And uh, because we wrote for women, uh, Joan Rivers, they thought, oh, he can write for Phyllis Diller. So the producer of that show happened to be a guy who I worked for at a hotel. I was a desk clerk during the summer of my last year of law school. Somehow or other, he went off and became a TV producer of The Philisteller Show and phoned me when he saw that uh, material.
2: I mean, you're telling a story of a, a series of, of lucky breaks. Totally, 100% luck. But I don't know about 100% because you also seem pretty willful and strategic in some of these. Uh, well, uh, I mean, though, though you act against yourself when you get what you want.
1: I, 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 yes, that's right. That's right. That's a good way of putting it. Once you get what you want, it's no longer that desirable. Yeah. There's something about it that uh, that you say, okay, it's like rich people who say, if I only had a million dollars and they get a million, they say, oh, uh, I guess I need five to keep me excited. Yeah, they want the but thing that they don't there's have. There's no end to it. Yeah. Uh, my view was how can you do comedy in a dignified way and also not have a nervous breakdown doing it? That was my conundrum.
2: Those don't seem like compatible ideas, comedy and dignity. Well,
1: right. I tried to put them together. Yeah. And uh, for me, it was very hard. So Lauren L-
2: th- seems to kind of do his best to maintain his dignity with the white wine and the kind of British demeanor.
1: Well, there are a lot of white wine uh, drinking Britishers who are not dignified. Yeah. <laughs> and I wouldn't say he's not one of them or one of them, but you to, to have dignity means to have... Um, respect for your own self as to what you're doing and that you be you approve of it in a way that it doesn't lower your Mm self-respect and there's something about comedy that lowers your self-respect i don't know what it is and i've been trying to analyze it for many years but basically as woody allen says the comedian is the kid who's sitting at the kid's table at the birthday party while the adults are discussing politics yeah and there's something about it it's not fair but it comes off as silly or foolish. The only way you can get higher is to become a wit and become a satirist.
2: Right, a satirist, a humorist, which is synonymous with a, a comic who doesn't make you laugh a lot of the time.
1: Well, no, he should make you laugh, but think at the same time. Yeah. Like John Stewart, for instance. He's, sure. He's reached that. And that's the zenith of a comedian. Yeah. To my way of thinking.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, he...
1: Although he's very foolish most of the time. Yeah. He makes funny faces and funny noises, and he squeaks a lot, and...
2: It's very vaudeville for, for something that, gets, vaudeville. That, that is considered to be a very important kind of comedy. But nobody, I mean, even Seinfeld Bill talks Mar- about... Belmar uh,
1: comes close, too. Yeah. He's very good. But in the old days, they had people like Mort Saul and yeah uh, uh, Lenny Bruce and people like that. They were just more deep. You'd have people like William Buckley in and, and the 60s and uh, yeah. Gore Vidal and people who wrote books and were also funny.
2: Yeah, they never got up on a stage. She I mean, Seinfeld after you know one of, one of the most successful runs on television and yeah, comedy sure. went on a stand up tour and, and you know said it doesn't matter how big you are nobody laughs because they liked your because you're famous
1: no well they do the first few minutes and then you're then you're, you're on your own you're starting
2: from scratch again yeah
1: yeah well I've always made people laugh I've never had a bad show but I've had bad times before the show uh-huh. for weeks preceding it and I thought is that worth going through. Yeah, and they say, "Well, Barbra Streisand has stage fright, which I had terrible, and Pavarotti had stage fright, and they're the tops in their field, but maybe they're hardier than I am."
2: You're an interesting case because we look at your partnership with with Lauren Michaels, right? And I think that there's still this conception of you you gotta quit your day job, and success is leaving Canada, and it's something that people struggle with now. In all sorts of aspects yeah. of culture in Canada, of whether they need to leave or not, or whether you can stay here. You stayed here. It was not the end of your show. Well, I career. did
1: leave for a year. But you ping-ponged. <clears throat> no, I just went and came back and never went back.
2: You never went back.
1: No, I did the laugh-in show. Uh, which was the top show in America from Phyllis Diller which was number fifty. Yeah. We went to number one.
2: And laughing is considered like an important show, like it very, was a transgressive show.
1: Very seminal in comedy. Yeah. But the the show we did, The Heart and Lauren Terrific Hour, became even more seminal because it was the basis for Saturday Night Live. It's the same format, rock and roll and comedy together.
2: What what kind of music acts played on, on-
1: Well we had the first um Cat Stevens, the first James Taylor. Really? All these people who were from New York and came to play one-nighters here made a little extra money by appearing on our show. So we we taped our show at the same date they were at Massey Hall. Yeah. So we'd give them an extra 2500 bucks and they'd come and do it. We'd fill the studio, but I'd make them sit through the comedy before we brought on the musical act, <laughs> so we'd have an audience. Otherwise, they probably would have gone home. Yeah. But uh, if you look at the original Hart and Lawrence, they're not on YouTube except in little slices. Uh, But if you look at a whole one, it looks like SNL. He has never changed the format. Uh
2: Uh-huh. It's true, actually. People give him grief about it that Saturday Night Live stays the same.
1: So is Coca-Cola.
2: Right. Right? It's a winning formula.
1: It's a winning formula. And that's something we developed together.
2: Even the short films, which uh, sometimes it's people's favorite part, is the stuff that isn't live.
1: I'll show you uh, one with a short film in it from our
2: day. But you did that too?
1: Yeah, we, we, we did some uh, very funny stuff. Uh, but I never felt nervous because I had a partner with Lauren. I could do 100 shows and not feel bad. I did a show after the Hart and Lauren show called This is the Law, and that was on for six years. It was the top-rated Canadian show with law, a funny law show in a way. Um, Quiz show. Yeah. And it's still a very good format for uh, an American series. It was like uh, Canada's Funniest Laws. And uh, you're too young to... It was a top-rated
2: show, so what happened to it?
1: Oh, it was on for six years, and then it was taken off because some guy at at a barbecue told the head of programming, who was his cousin, that he had a good idea and he should get on now. Uh Uh-huh. And the cousin said, okay, George, we'll kick those guys off. Well, they tanked. Ours was top rated, but only at CBC can you be uh, terminated because of high ratings.
2: <laughs> I've been canceled twice by the CBC, so we can commiserate on this. Yeah, three times. You <laughs> <laughs> should wear it as a badge of honor then. Uh, yeah,
1: well, I'm, no, but we had the top show. That's the problem. They so canceled it because it was good.
2: Was ever thus, like, the, the complaining about CBC management decisions? I, I hear people of There's every generation. A, the,
1: the CBC does not have a show business department.
2: Uh-huh. It
1: has a corporation department, and they give each person a segment that they learned from America, like variety, comedy. But there's no show business here. Uh, show business is basically American or British, but it's not Canadian. Uh, we never developed our, our culture. Uh, uh, you know, a, a show business in Canada, you know, like a, a star is, is a sh- considered a show-off. Yeah, you know, it's Scottish. It's got that very hard line, uh, uh, what do you want to get up on stage and make a fool of yourself for, mentality.
2: People talk about the tall poppy syndrome. No, no tall poppies, we, uh, we, they get cut. Well, they
1: say people don't know what they're doing at, uh, at CBC in Canada. And I said they know exactly what they're doing. And if they see someone real good, they don't take them. Because if you had a Woody Allen here, he wouldn't get on the air. Yeah. If you had had a Jonathan Winters or a Robin Williams, he wouldn't get on the air.
2: But you guys got on the air.
1: We got on the air by just a fluke, uh, uh, just a fluke. I don't know. Uh, oh, I know what happened. We were on laughing, and they called us back. So that's, now, a very that's something th- Lauren did. He, yeah. he knew someone at CBC and said if we were willing to come back, we, uh, if we could perform and produce our own show, we'd come back. And the head of programming said, okay. Uh, this is not a funny country, although we do create great funny people. Uh-huh. But they have to go to the States to be recognized and blossomed and given encouragement.
2: So what happened? There's two. There's two narratives here. There's one is that you are uh, an ambivalent guy who totally who uh, has many many interests and who didn't want to subject himself to, to having to prove yourself be to, before a room full of strangers every night. And so you've led a, a, a very multifaceted career as a as a lawyer and a comic and a game show host and as
1: a- I write all the time. All I, of that.
2: I, I, and the other, a lot of people would say, "Look, you were an aspiring young comic. You were yeah. partners with Lorne Michaels. He went off to to do this, you know this." But he was institution. never a
1: comic. He was never a comic. He was always a producer. Uh-huh. He produced me. He was never. Who was really the straight funny. man in that? In that? He. He was the straight he, man. He. I. I don't recall him, really being a funny person. Yeah. He. He might have had some funny ideas, but to be with him and talk with him you wouldn't fall down
2: laughing. He's a curator, he knows talent. He's I
1: think he's a good talent scout. I think he's a good producer. He has a good eye for what's hot. Uh he he was good at Zeitgeist, you know. He he was the right guy at the right time for the hippies and the new comedy. Yeah. I was on the edge I had just passed over into middle age like 28. Right. But he was 24 so he was still uh, I see. He, he was of the, of the nature of uh, the, the new regime, and I was the tail end of the old regime.
2: Would you have wanted to go with him?
1: Well, I don't think I could have contributed much uh-huh. uh, to him, because my audience would have grown older with me and my value system and things I look at would be based on the age I am. Uh, could I write uh, SNL sketches? Probably. I, yeah. can write, I can write jokes for anybody. And satire for anybody. But uh, he wanted to be a solo. I sort of wanted to be solo, but couldn't. Yeah. He could, so he he went on and produced. And being a producer is safe. If your show is no good, you produce another one. hmm And he had another show that went under that uh, nobody knows about. It was only on for one half a season. Was
2: that that year that he left Saturday Night Live? No.
1: It was called The New Show or something. Oh, okay. And he came on with this idea. It didn't do well, and... Uh, uh, he's stuck with SNL and, and it's gone on forever because it's really just a candy store and you, 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 the best of the best, it's the only store in town to get candy. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's he a- has his choice of everybody. You would think he would have found more stars and less non-talented uh, people because the show has a lot of people who aren't really gifted. Yeah. But they have two or three who carry it every year somehow. Yeah. The breakaway stars.
2: You were kind of a contemporary. I mean, you know, these are legends now. Woody Allen, Joan Rivers.
1: Well, Woody Allen is seventy nine. He's about six or seven years older than me. Yeah. So he was my hero when I was growing up because he wrote the best jokes. Yeah. And he did the new comedy, the neurotic Jewish comedy, which I have a a feeling for. The Asadney Life has nothing to do with Jewish comedy. It has only to do with what's hot, what's cool. Uh, which is a contradiction, and yet they
2: work together. And That's interesting. I never thought about that. The Saturday Night Live, despite being Lorne Michaels' baby, is not really Jewish comedy. No, no.
1: It's wild uh, wild and crazy comedy. Steve Martin kind of yeah. comedy. Uh, Dan Aykroyd, uh, I, I call it n- sort of nasty comedy, uh, mean comedy. It isn't the comedy of my generation, which was a, a lot kinder and more intellectual, my, my feeling about myself is that I'm an elitist and I don't want to be like anyone else. I'd rather be a solo. Yeah. Why, why be an artist if you're, if you're going to be like everyone else?
2: Yeah. You got to contribute
1: something unique. Otherwise shut up.
2: Like comedy is a field that seems to favor people who are really idiosyncratic and singular. Yeah. And that cuts both ways because, uh, the stuff that makes them so interesting often has a dark side to it, and I'm thinking specifically—you wrote for Woody Allen, yeah. Your brother Earl wrote for Bill Cosby, right? Both of those legends of comedy today face atrocious accusations about what they got up to in their in their personal lives. Right, right. We we're learning so much about, you know, some of the stuff that went on in the heyday. Like, you could almost get a picture that everybody was some sort of malevolent deviant. I mean, is this the the comedy business that you remember? I mean, when you, hear, you hear these show things- Show business
1: is deviant. You do? Yes, because it's a business of power. And when people have power over others, they tend to abuse it. So, Hence the casting couch in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So if you have power over women, then you'll abuse it. Uh, if you're a famous comedian, then you'll take advantage of that. If you're not properly uh, controlled. And by that I mean inner controlled. Yeah. Some people with power don't abuse it, but some people are sick, and they have two lives, the one they show the public and the one they have in private. You'll never find out about them until someone comes forward and and lays a, a charge against them. So we don't know how many accountants do this to their secretaries. We don't know how many lawyers do it to their clients. We don't know anything. But in show business... It's news. I mean, it's absurd. Show business, uh, celebrity is the most uh, intoxicating thing. Yeah. Even I, who uh, who was not a great celebrity or a large celebrity, if someone meets me and saw me on TV, they, they start to get excited. Yeah. If they remember me from the uh, 70s.
2: It's intoxicating for people. It's,
1: it's, it's unbelievable. I don't understand it. It's, it's not rational. It's sort of like a, a dream. Yeah. It's it's not part of the real world. But if you went into a restaurant and sitting next to you was uh, the greatest movie star in the world, uh, you start to twitch. Yeah. (laughs) You don't know why. It's involuntary.
2: It's something that you, uh, you know, arguably you had a lot of access to it. And it's a lot of people's wildest dreams to be a part of that world.
1: When you meet them, they're just ordinary people. But when they get on stage, they have that magic.
2: Did you decide to turn away from it?
1: No, I'm still in it. Yeah, I'm still. In I still do stand up when I can urge myself to get on stage. Where do I you go? Perform at law, law functions. Okay. And, uh, I just did one at my 50th of law anniversary and did material about being a lawyer that cracked everybody up. I mean, I'm still very funny. I just I find it a hard way to make a living for my personality. You got to have a very thick skin, and mine is paper thin. Yeah, I'm not an old comic. I'm just. A nervous one. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, my comedy, if you look at the old shows, it isn't old. It's just different. It doesn't say, uh, you don't say, oh, that was funny back then. Because it's not based on anything contemporary. It's based on character and uh, psychology more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm more interested in psychology, which is immutable and never changes. Yeah. But if you do it based on what's going on in the world, it's always changing and, ha- and tends to age.
2: For for what what such a crazy world of that is that it's not the real. world. We're sitting here at your dining table in, yeah. uh, in you know north of Toronto, in your lovely home in the suburbs of Toronto. Yeah, this is like this is the real world, and you've had uh, you've had a, a profession that Jewish mothers did want their kids to go to. You've been a lawyer, you know. I mean, it's well, it's, it's an interesting thing to live between. I, these I'm two. the only
1: one I know who's a lawyer and a comedian. There was only one, and his name was Al Lou Bell. Uh-huh. Al Bell's the funniest comedian for me I've ever seen. But he, uh, he's in California. He, he was a criminal lawyer for about a year and then quit. Yeah. And went on to, he was on Letterman hundreds of times. And uh, if anyone wants to look him up, it's Al, L-U-B-E-L. And uh, a funny guy. And so he's the only other one I know who's an actual graduate lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he gave up law. I didn't want to give up anything. Which means I'm a jack of all trades and maybe not a master of any of them. Yeah. But it gives me a balance so that I don't end up like Robin Williams. Yeah. Because he was a, a comic addict. You know, he mainlined uh, Punch Lines. Yeah. And uh, he, he was insatiable. Now, Seinfeld is a sane comedian, the only one I know. Who, yeah. Not the only one, but one of the few who treats it as a business and is
2: logical about everything and seems unto himself a settled person in a way that most comedians don't
1: so. he, he even on his show Seinfeld he was a very he was the only normal guy on the show yeah all the all the rest were crazies like uh, you know Kramer and George and yeah all that. and he was the ringmaster and he wore nice clothes and he did his show on time he always paid his rent he never was in great trouble
2: Yeah, he was the straight man on his own show, really. Yeah,
1: yeah, he was the straight man, and he threw in his comic remarks, so he had the best of all worlds. Yeah. Larry David, on the other hand, is is a nut.
2: Yeah, Michigan is. But
1: he's he's brilliant. Yeah. You see, but Seinfeld has that both sides to his persona. He's a good businessman, probably a a normal husband. I don't know. He's away 300 days a year, so I don't know how normal he can right.
2: be. Have you seen things change in this country? And I mean, we, you know, we talk about the CBC just having, you know. No. No.
1: See, this country has got a genetic imprint on it. Uh-huh. It can never be any different than it is because America will never let Canada catch up to it. Plus, uh, there's no money here uh-huh. for superstardom. Right. And if you want to be a superstar, you can't do it on 100000 a year. Yeah. You know, uh, you, you can afford a condo in Utah and Mills, uh, whereas they're in, you know, Beverly Hills. Yeah. There is a difference. Uh-huh. Uh, Canada will always create great talent, but they'll always be forced to leave because of economics.
2: Huh. I wonder, you know, rather than trying to catch up, if it could just be something different.
1: Well... You're either top of your field or you're not. Mm-hmm. If you're, uh, you know, the best quarterback in the world but you're different because you you pass with a basketball, it's not going to work, <laughs> you know. Uh, the point of the matter is that the competition is fierce in show business because the desire for fame is so powerful in money yeah. that only the best get the money. And, you know, there is a logic to it. It is a Darwinian concept. It's the survival of the of the best really mm-hmm. America you wonder how they choose the right people to become stars of their shows, but they're always right. Mm-hmm. There may be a few malingers who they missed but generally they they look at the numbers and they check it out and
2: you think the free market of, of laughs is I think so yeah the, the invisible hand is, is right yeah yeah and,
1: and and as you get older, there's a the trickle down theory. Of laughs, which is what
2: happens in nursing homes,
1: but I'll <laughs> leave that alone. So then I have
2: to ask you, and yeah. I'm sorry if it's a personal question, but yeah. do you wish you'd stayed in that game?
1: I don't know. I don't know. I was never in it enough to stay in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a partner, probably I would have stayed. Mm-hmm. Alone, it would have been very difficult. It's uh, it's it's just um, too hard for sensitive people you you and I consider myself one of the sensitive people, but if you have the sensitivity, you may not have the the uh, bulwark to fight the bad parts of being in show business, like you know the the clubs and the traveling and the uh, bad audiences and that kind of stuff it is a war, the trench warfare comedy, yeah, yeah. if you go down to Yaks Yuck you can see everybody's striving to get that one fish and they're all snapping at it yeah Um, I don't like that much competition I mean if I'm good I should be recognized as good and forget about the competition I don't like competition I I like uh, peacefulness Yeah, maybe that's why I chose to just do a little of
2: this and a little of that most professions. If you're a dentist, if you're a lawyer, like if you're good, it's enough. You don't have to be the yeah. best of every. You know, you don't fight it out with every other dentist no. to be the, the, the one. The one imagine, who gets to work. You know.
1: But if you had ten dentists in the same office drilling the same tooth, <laughs> so you can get to the bottom quickest, you get a tragedy on your hands. Yeah, I, I don't like conflict, but uh, even in law you have conflict all the time. But I like to take the side of at least the person who needs the help. You know, it's sort of like social work. Uh, I like helping people I like making them happy and there's a pleasure in bringing joy to people's lives but um, a show business is just it's like boxing to me it's like uh, very very difficult blood sport it's a blood sport don't you think in a way uh, it may be a head blood sport but it's not a physical blood sport is
2: it worth it when people talk about the high of I think so yeah
1: I think it is but uh, how much you have to suffer to get that high. It's a a, a, a ratio of benefit and, and, uh, and uh, loss. Uh, how much do you have to suffer to get the high?
2: Yeah. I've heard it said that you have to be damaged enough. If you're relatively healthy psychologically, it's a nice feeling, but it's not worth the risk. It's not worth the downside.
1: No. Some people are happy with knock-knock jokes.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: they get a little giggle and say, Oh, I was funny today. Yeah, but then if you want to do uh, an hour and a half and you want the audience squealing and screaming, you gotta give it
2: your all. That's like the hard drugs.
1: That's the hard drugs. I agree, and and it, the definite dopamine uh, impact is enormous with laughs. Mm-hmm. They have measured uh, the brain chemistry during comedy, and it's it's in the same center as cocaine. Uh huh. So you can imagine that the brain wants more of that if it likes it.
2: Yeah. You know, Uh,
1: it's a tough balance, but what would the world be without comedians? It would be pretty dull.
2: Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay. Nice meeting you. A real pleasure speaking with you. Likewise. That was your Canada Land show. I hope you liked it. You can email me always at jesse@canadalandshow.com. At I read them all. I respond when I can. I'm on Twitter at jesse brown. The show's website is canadalandshow.com, and the crowdfunding site is patreon.com/canadaland. I make this show with Katie Jensen. The next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday, and the next episode of Canada Land Shortcuts will be up on Thursday. If you like this show. Please support it. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
1: A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood by all appearances it was an open and shut case but not in belize where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place justice will let me serve in this case she's gonna get away with it or will she white devil a campsite media original listen wherever you get your podcasts